0: In the beginning was the word,
1: and the word was with God, the word was God.
0: The word became flesh and made his home with us.
1: The one and only Son, full of grace and truth.
0: In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that had been made. In The Word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We save his, seen his glory, the glory of w- the one and only Son who come from the Father, full of grace and truth. Have you ever wandered into a pitch dark room with your arms outstretched trying to find the light switch? Perhaps you've tripped over something, stubbed a toe, bumped into a wall. You felt the frustration of trying to navigate your way through a room without light and mumbled under your breath, if I could only find that light switch. In today's scripture, we are reminded that without Jesus, we are all wandering through the darkness, uncertain of what lies ahead, feeling the pain of constantly running into the unexpected. Jesus came into this world as God's spotlight to show us the way back home through a world where sin casts a long shadow. In the person of Jesus Christ, we see God's grace and truth in all its glory. Through him, we become children of God and brothers and sisters in Christ. On this first Sunday in Advent, Jesus invites us all to receive him as Savior and Lord and the light of our lives. Amen.
1: we had some sad news in our household this week we had a uh, a pet cockatiel for 16 years 15 years uh named Carmen and uh Carmen was a uh it's it's funny how a pet can sort of move into your household and become such a part of it that when they're gone you really miss them where There are points where you say, wow, I wish I didn't have to feed and take care of this pet all the time, but you realize it was worth it. And uh, uh, cockatiels, I've met people who have pet cockatiels who are not aware that they can actually uh, talk, they can imitate, uh, mimic human speech, Uh, they can whistle songs that you whistle and so forth. I've had people who've had them for years and they never realized the potential that was there in that cockatiel for that entertainment. Uh, as impressive as Carmen could be, and I know some of you actually have heard Carmen. Carmen even could imitate a crowd. So let's say we had eight or nine people over and everybody was talking at the same time. You would hear Carmen over in the corner going, "Ah, you know, just going on. Marine Corps hymn, um, uh, Star Wars themes, whatever it was, uh, Carmen uh, could imitate it. But as impressive as Carmen is in his mimicking, there are far greater miracles of communication and speech around the world. The very fact that human beings, we can use language the way that we do, that differentiates us from other creatures, living creatures. We are the only ones who have this particular capacity to the extent that we do. Now, there are other animals that mimic. There are some that can use uh, sign language to convey some thought. But human beings uh, are, are the ones who alone can use language in the, in the way in which we do to express our thoughts in, in a variety and extensive ways. And wh- I was thinking this week about the fact that it's been almost 700 years since the printing press was invented. And, you know, if you went to school went, at the time I did or before I did, you know in your history class the invention of the printing press was a key moment in human history. It was, a, it was a time when suddenly for the first time you could take human speech, put it down on a piece of paper and duplicate it in such a fashion that suddenly those words can be shared and conveyed with thousands and millions around the world. And so it was a great moment in communication. However, it took almost uh, five to 600 years for that to be improved upon. For half a millennium... The sole way to duplicate our words uh, was was through the printing press that 's amazing when you consider what we have experienced over the last two centuries. Uh, several generations ago in, in my family, uh, there were no photographs you know, early 1800s uh, began to take photographs and the popular, popular use of photography was later than that. Uh, no transmission of radio waves no telegraph or telephone you know the old joke three ways to communicate telegraph telephone and tell a woman, yeah. tell joy yeah <laughs> you know that sounds such a like such an antiquated joke doesn't anymore it wasn't when i was a kid but it is now because telegraph who in the world uses a telegraph and telephones in the sense of the way what Way we used to use them are, are out the door, too. There were uh, uh, no televisions, no photo or electronic copying, no internet, no air travel, no motorized vehicles of any type. In other words, our ancestors of just a few lifetimes ago lived in an extremely different world than ours, amazingly different. Not just in terms of the means of communication, but in terms of the speed of change. If you went back and tried to use your first cell phone, let's say uh, cell phones are really coming into vogue maybe 20 years. I'm stretching that back a little bit, but you know the very early ones. You ever watch a movie on TV now, one of these mov- old, old <coughs> movies from the 80s or 90s where they've got the car phone and the guy picks up the big clunky <coughs> car phone and, and that was so impressive back when that movie first came out. And then you think back on your flip phones and everything, and you think what these smartphones can do today, and uh, that they take the place of uh, the GPS and the, and the cameras and every, everything they can do. And we're not at the end of it. Things are going to keep changing at a very rapid pace, and it's hard to keep up with all that. And yet, it, with all of that, there is one thing that has remained Unchanged. So one thing that for 2,000 years, even with the invention of the printing press, remained unchanged. And in fact, it is the first thing that was ever printed on the printing press. And that's God's Word. God's Word remains unchanged. On my phone, I, I can uh, go and look up uh, dozens of different translations... Uh, of the Bible. I, every day I have a scripture of the day that comes through. And you know it, it gets to the point where you don't want to not read it that day. For any reason because they keep track and they say Bob has 233 consecutive days read his verse of the day. They've got all kinds of devotionals that I can read that come ar- along with it. But as I was thinking about that this week I thought but you know what my greatest the greatest span of Bible study in my life and Bible reading was prior to all that. It was when all that I had was a Bible, God's Word to go to. And I could go to it raw and and, and read it in a way that God, it just seemed like He was truly speaking to me. And not somebody's opinion of what He was saying, but God was speaking to me. And so, you know, I've I've got... Lots of Bibles here. I've got a few up here in addition to this one in my library. But in the end, it's God's word. No matter what the translation or the version, it's God's word. And God uses it to speak to me. And it is the one thing that still remains unchanged. In a sense, the word of God was transmitted into this world 2,000 years ago with the birth of Jesus Christ. That's what Christmas is about according to John chapter 1. It is the coming of God's word into the world. Now, when we talk about Matthew and Luke and and, and their descriptions of the birth of Jesus, we, we don't really pick up on that. But the importance of word in the beginning was the word and the word was with God. Now, Genesis begins the same way. In the beginning, and what happens in the first verses of Genesis? God speaks. His word comes out. He says, let there be light. And when Jesus is born in Bethlehem, God again says, let there be light. Let the light of my word come again into the world that the darkness of sin may be pushed back and defeated. And so the idea this month as we, go, uh, as we go through Advent and move toward Christmas of looking at John, I thought was very important to look at who it is who was born in Bethlehem. We'll find in John that Jesus is a number described in a number of ways. He is the bread of life. He is the way to salvation, to truth, to knowledge. He is the life. In him was life. And we who know Christ participate in that life. We live, in addition uh, in an, to being in a day, an age of tremendous uh, ways to communicate with each other, is also an age of chaos and confusion. It seems like the more news channels we have, it seems like the more uh, uh, the internet grows and reaches around into the world, the more confusion. There is. And according to Scripture, it's very simple to understand why. Because it's fallen human beings who are communicating. We're searching for just the right words to convince others, but others shout back over us and they don't hear our words. We're in an age where we talk about fake news. But it seems like nothing is truly true. We're not sure who to trust, who to believe. And I think that's good for the Christian to understand that. I think it's good for us to understand that the only one who truly can tell us what life is about and what the goal of our life should be, even what our goal as a nation should be, is God through his word. So as we go uh, through uh, John, the first chapter here in these 14 verses over the next few minutes, I want you to be uh, keenly aware uh, and pick up in here about just how important it is that we understand what it means that the word was born in Bethlehem because we have I think uh, in our culture we have come to a point where we don't trust any word but I want you to know you can trust the word of God we even have sayings that say this uh, uh, you know put your money where your mouth is in other words yeah talk is cheap but uh, put something there to prove to me that you're that your words are worth something, or a picture is worth a thousand words. I don't believe that. I don't believe that, uh, that saying. Never had. I think that a thousand words of truth from the Bible are worth a million pictures. The fact of the matter is what makes that saying even stranger is that what do you do when two people are looking at a picture together? You start talking about the picture. You start using words to describe it, to interpret it. So the value of word God recognized from the very beginning because in the beginning was the word. Everything in creation, according to scripture, in the universe, in time, comes into being through this word. When Jesus is born, the darkness of the world is driven away by the birth of God's word. And it is his words in the gospels today that continue To move that darkness away in our lives. The word was with God. The word was God. Jesus is God as the son is in the father. The father is in the son. And the spirit fully inhabits both. That holy trinity. In in Colossians. Uh, The first chapter, it says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether uh, thrones or dominions or rulers or authority, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things. And in him, all things hold together. Now, it's very common, even in seminaries, to hear preachers talk about how, well... Uh, we have to be very careful when we're with other people to talk about Jesus as the only way. I remember an extensive discussion in a class where people argued about is he truly the way, the truth, and the life or the only way, the only truth, the only life. And many of the people in the class said, no, he isn't. That God works through various religions and people to bring his truth into the world and so forth. And I would sit there and going, wait, are you reading the Bible? And what I would find out is they didn't really trust the Bible. They really didn't believe the Bible as God's word. And yet the Bible over and over testifies to its reliability. First uh, 1 Peter 1.25 says, but the word of the Lord endures forever. People will say, well, it may have been good 2,000 years ago, but it's no longer relevant today. But Peter says the word of the Lord endures Forever. And this is the word that I preach to you. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says, We also thank God continually because when you received the word of God which you heard from us, you accepted it not as human word, but as it actually is, the word of God, which is indeed at work in you who believe. Not only is it word that you hear, but it is word that becomes actively working in you if you believe. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. Do you notice here in all these scriptures, and I could go on with dozens more, that the word is the central point of our faith? Handling that word, sharing that word, is the central point of our faith. There's an old saying that people will quote St. Francis of Assisi, and, say, and and I'll see this all the time, and I understand the sentiment and what's behind it, but it's misinterpreted. And in fact, St. Francis never said it. <laughs> you know, every, every, every scholar will say he never said that, and they'll trace the origin back uh, to someone else. Uh, St. Francis actually, according to, to the contemporaries of his time who wrote about him, was on a par with Billy Graham in his preaching. Uh, we think of him as someone who was just out there being kind to the birds, but St. Francis was about preaching the gospel. And he did that with words. But the idea of uh, the, the, the saying is that, that preach the gospel at all times and when necessary use words, meaning the primary way to preach the gospel, the best way is not with words but with your actions. But if you think about that for a moment, if I come over and, uh, uh, you know, I, I, I give Roz a glass of water and I don't use any words, what's her interpretation of my act? How does she interpret that? Well, she might interpret it in several different ways. She might say, well, he had some extra water laying around, and it probably was old, and dust had gotten into it, and he wanted to get rid of it, so he handed me the water. You know? Or he might, she might just say, well, he's a nice guy. Wasn't that nice of him? But where is God glorified in that act? Unless there are words accompanying it to give credit to God for the act, to say, I do this because Jesus has told me this is how I should act. I do this because I follow one who himself was kind and shared. You know, words are extremely important accompanying our actions. And I don't say this just because I'm a preacher and I like words. It comes on down and it tells us that uh, in him was life and that life was the light of all mankind. Our life is in and from and in Christ. And when he, our life is... And when our life is in him, then our lives become a light to others. I know that's a lot of words crammed together really quickly. But if our life is in Jesus Christ, the light comes naturally. We don't have to turn it on. We don't need a switch to turn it on. The light will come through. And I think a lot of us as Christians, we don't really understand that. We don't understand the idea of living into Christ. And I'll tell you this, that doesn't happen unless you're associated with his word. It's when you are in his word and God begins to speak to you through that. It's when you're praying in his word. It's when his words become, uh, have a depth of meaning to you far beyond the surface that you can begin to shine and live in him. And will you, when you'll have the strength of those words to guide you through the hard times and the times of temptation... the Bible is full of warnings about how we use words. James talks about what a little fire is the tongue. You know, it can ignite a forest fire. Uh, uh, You know, we see this in our contemporary life where somebody says something and immediately the media and everybody are jumping on it. What an insensitive thing to say. Uh, Recently, the uh, Washington Redskins, just the past uh, week or so, uh, picked up, From the San Francisco 49ers on waivers, they had gotten rid of this guy, a linebacker, because he had uh, uh, committed uh, some—he had been abusive towards a woman, and it was on a video at a at a hotel, and he had he had uh, abused her. It was a terrible thing, and the 49ers said, "You're gone." Well, who picked him up? The Washington Redskins. And then, in trying to explain to the press, why they were justified in doing this, they said, one of their spokespersons said, and I, I won't mention his name to protect his lack of thought around this as he said it, he said that what this guy did was small potatoes. He minimized it. You know, two words, small potatoes. Words have power. Words have not just meaning, but they have power to change, uh, to to take... Uh, a direction, uh, a current that was going in one direction and to completely turn it around. And we've seen that over and over in our nation's life. So why can't the word of God, the Bible, do the same thing? Why can't it change our lives? Why does it not have the power to do that? And And it tells us that there was a man who came from God, sent from God, whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light, just as you and I are witnesses to that light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world, talking about Jesus. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Isn't that an amazing thing? Can you imagine as a parent, if one day you visited your children at their home, their adult children now, and they said, you know what? I'm not sure who you are. I don't recognize you. Jesus, through whom all of us have been made, Jesus, who was there at the very beginning, comes into this world, and we are so deep into our sin and into our narcissistic lives that we don't even recognize him. And that continues on today. And we ignored him also in the sense that I think this is this is the case for a lot of folks. Uh, you ever see the old Western movies? where the guy comes into town, and maybe he's a good guy or maybe he's a bad guy. It doesn't matter. He's a stranger. And somebody comes up to him and says, uh, Now, uh, listen, mister, uh, we, don't, we don't want no trouble around here. You know, if you just go ahead and skedaddle out of town, uh, you know, we'd be beholden to you. If you just get out of here. That's the way a lot of people treat Jesus. You know, they look at him and say, I don't know. If I get into this uh, Christianity thing, if I get into this He is my Savior thing, it's going to change things. It could cause some trouble. I might lose some friends. I might have to change some habits. So listen, Jesus, we don't want no trouble around here. (laughs) If you just go ahead and leave town, I'll be okay. Sometimes in the westerns, the guy that they're asking to leave town because they don't want any trouble is actually the only guy who can save the town from the bad guys. And that's the way it is with Jesus. It's remarkable if we go through John 1 and read it anew as if for the first time, the power that Jesus has. It says that, uh, to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. There's a popular idea in, in, in our nation, in our world today, that everybody is a child of God. In fact, I say that, probably a lot of you would say, yeah, we're all children of God. But you know, the Bible doesn't say that. In fact, Jesus sometimes calls people, he goes, he's, there's this group of people and he says, you're children of the devil. It doesn't say we're all children of God, you're children of the devil. What the Bible does tell us is that everyone can become a child of God through faith in Jesus Christ. Through him, we can be adopted into the family of God. But until that time, lost in our sin, we have separated ourselves from that family just as a child who might run away from home and leave their parents. But there needs to be a process now to bring us back into the family. And so is the one through whom that happens. His coming into the world has made that possible. That's why we celebrate at Christmas time. Uh, not uh, Not because it's the most wonderful time of the year. Not because of all of our traditions, but because Jesus has come and made this possible. So the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father full of grace and truth. Full of grace and truth. Folks, the only truth you're ever going to encounter in this world, the only truth that is immovable, the only truth upon which to build a life is the truth of Jesus Christ. It doesn't take a wizard to figure that out. As you look around at our world, tell me, where else are you, what else are you going to build your life upon? Careers? Money? Fame? I mean, where where is the foundation for a life apart from Jesus Christ, our Lord, our Savior? It's just not there. You know, um, as I look back over my life, sometimes I feel a little bit bad that I didn't lead a really uh truly outwardly wicked, rebellious life at the beginning. Most of my rebellion has been in secret. <laughs> Most of my sin has been things I cover up. Because I, but you know, my life, on the outside at least, has been that life lived in the church and lived in Christ. And sometimes I think, wow, what a better testimony I would have. Uh, I was with somebody the other day and she wants to be a pastor and so I was with the group that decides whether or not the United Methodist Church will give her that opportunity to be a pastor. But her past was really bad. She had done a lot of things, a lot of things that uh, got her into trouble with the law, and technically we weren't even supposed to consider her. You know, there there are things you could have done in your past that disqualify you from being a pastor. And so we wrestled with this because of her sincerity, because of the fruit that she had sown since she had become a Christian and since she had begun to work with people. And she made the statement, she said, I can reach people who can't be reached by other preachers because of my past. And there was validity in that. There was truth in that, that she, she could do. But I'll tell you the most powerful thing in that room was not that she had somehow transformed her life, but that she testified to the fact that God had transformed her life. And that she had faith that he could continue to do a good work in her until the day that she died. I, I don't know. You know, I, I, I don't know her beyond that. But I do believe that her words were true. That God does have that power to change lives. And God does have the power to carry us forward. Uh, to make us children of God again. And to bring us home to him. And so we're in this wonderful season where the entire world has light only because of what happened in Bethlehem 2,000 years ago, because a God who didn't have to do this, a God who could have just simply wiped us out, a God who could have said, I'll go create other worlds and forget this one, but a God who looked down and in love and grace said, I won't leave them. I won't abandon them. I will come and rescue them. And he did that in Jesus Christ, God's word living in us. And so this morning as we come to the uh, table in communion, uh, we come confessing our sins and confessing that we have not always listened to God's word. We have read it. We have heard it but we have not allowed it to live in us. And so we come together on page, in page 12 in our hymnals, and we hear the invitation. That Christ our Lord invites to his table all who love him, who earnestly repent of their sin, and who seek to live in peace with one another. Therefore, let us confess our sin before God and one another. Merciful God, Now hear this good news, that Christ died for us while we were yet sinners. That proves God's love toward us. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. Glory to God. Amen. Amen. The beginning of that song, lift up your your heads, you mighty gates, might seem like a strange expression and we're not sure what it means. But uh, essentially what it's saying is, as we go into the Advent season... Open up those doors, those gates of your heart, and and let Jesus into your life. Uh, Welcome the Savior into your world. And uh, as we have just read in John chapter 1, allow the words of Jesus Christ to penetrate deep into your soul. Meditate upon them. Know that the word of God is pure and is eternal. Because of Jesus Christ, we who go into the world now go as a saved people rejoicing that Christ has come. Christ is here with us now, and Christ is coming again. Let us go in his peace. Amen.